childhood favorite of mine is a movie called The Sandlot, in which a character by the name of Scotty Smalls moves to a new neighborhood in the summer of 1962, and even though he's an outsider, he eventually makes friends with some boys who play baseball at a nearby park. And one day, one of the kids hits the ball so hard that it busts out of the seams. And the core of it just comes right out of the cover. And while all the boys are amazed at the feet, eventually they're frustrated because they can't play baseball. Because none of them have a ball, and none of them have money to buy a ball. And so Smalls, as they call him, decides he's going to go home and get a ball. He says he's got one. He runs home, and he grabs a ball off of his stepfather's trophy case. You see where this is going. And he comes back heroically, and at the first at-bat, the ball is hit over a fence into the yard of a scary neighbor with an even scarier dog. And so they can't get it back. And Smalls is understandably distressed because he knows the ball is important. He's not sure why, though. Um, he just knows it's signed by somebody. And he tells the boys this, and they said, who signed it? He said, someone named Ruth. And they all simultaneously express shock as they realize they just played with a ball signed by Babe Ruth. And one of them asks him in disbelief, you mean to tell me you actually brought took a ball signed by Babe Ruth, brought it out here, and actually played with it? And he said, well, yeah. Who is she? <laughs> Thus revealing the extent of his ignorance, that he has no idea who George Herman Ruth is, arguably the most famous baseball player to ever live, even to this day. So because he didn't know its worth, he grossly misused a valuable possession. In our passage today, we see an extraordinary act as we see Mary anoint the feet of Jesus with very valuable perfume and wipe his feet with her hair. And so extravagant is the act that Judas' reaction suggests that it's essentially a waste that it's a gross misuse of its value. And to a casual observer, it might appear to be so. It might appear as if perhaps she doesn't even know the worth of the perfume. Of course, when you see the full picture, you can understand that it's actually a beautiful picture of devotion. Today's the fifth Sunday of Lent. It's the season where the church prepares to, sell, to recognize Jesus' work to die for our sins on the cross and to provide us with the hope of eternal life and raising from the dead on Easter Sunday. And this lectionary passage is a very appropriate passage for the season. And it raises questions of value well beyond the material, especially for followers of Jesus. The passage alludes to it briefly, um, an episode right, just recorded just before of Mary's brother Lazarus being raised from the dead, and it informs the scene. And so if you rewind a little bit in the, in the previous chapter, 
Mary and her sister Martha send for Jesus while Lazarus is sick. And Jesus intentionally waits where he is for a couple days. And then when he arrives, Lazarus has already been dead for four days and in the tomb. And Mary's sister Martha runs to Jesus while he's still on the outskirts of town. And she tells him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But that even then, she knows that God will give him whatever he asks. And Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again. And she affirms this statement saying, I know he will in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus makes a strong statement of who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And Jesus asks if she believes this, and Martha affirms it, saying, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And after this interchange, Jesus has them open the tomb. And after a brief prayer to the Heavenly Father, he commands Lazarus to come out. And John has this poignantly direct statement that the dead man came out. And many people believe in Jesus because of Lazarus being raised from the dead. But others tell the religious leaders, who then plot to kill Jesus because of the signs he's performing, afraid that as people believe in him, the Romans will come and take away their place and their temple. And it's in the wake of this episode of Lazarus being raised that we have this scene in our passage. A dinner given in Jesus' honor hosted by the siblings, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, who were good friends with Jesus. And it's quite possible that it was thrown in response to Lazarus' being raised from the dead. And all these siblings from Bethany are honoring Jesus in various ways. We have Lazarus reclining in the table at fel in fellowship. Martha is serving. And then Mary makes this grand act of worship. And it's here we're told that Mary pours a pint of nard on Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. And the expense of it does not escape Judas, who points out its worth at about a year's wages. He has a statement to the extent of what's she doing? It could have been given to the poor. The author is sure to point out where the sentiment is coming from. It's coming from Judas being a thief who simply wanted more funds to help himself to. But Jesus makes an interesting statement, saying that the perfume was intended for his burial. It's also possible that Mary is anointing him in recognition of his royalty, like an, a royal anointing. And these two things are not mutually exclusive because Jesus' royalty is revealed increasingly as he goes to the cross. It's a very appropriate prelude to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem where he's recognized as king by his followers. And there's an obvious contrast between the devotion of Mary and the self-serving attitude of both Judas and the chief priests mentioned at the end of the passage who made plans to kill Lazarus as well. And as clear as the contrasts are, it's worth exploring what Mary is showing us and the question that it poses. Simply put, Mary's act shows us that Jesus is worth all we have and all we are. The perfume 
nard or spike nard is a fragrant oil that's very expensive from very far away. Possessing it in the Mediterranean world is something only the well-to-do are able to do. And so it it may indicate that perhaps their household is well-to-do. Perhaps this is something along the lines of an heirloom in their possession. It might even be part of the family's inheritance. That's how expensive it is. Worth a year's wages, as Judas points out. The point is, it's a big deal that Mary is using it. She's not... The thing is, she's not anointing Jesus' feet because she doesn't know the worth of the perfume. She's anointing Jesus' feet with it because she does know the worth of it. It's a treasured possession. And she's giving it to Jesus. She uses it because she recognizes that Jesus is worth more. It raises the question, what do we treasure? And how does it hold up to Jesus? Where is Jesus' position in relation to what we treasure? Is he treasured above it? The point is not to analyze the quantity of Mary's act in terms of how it equates to money. Rather, the value of the act speaks more to her recognition of Jesus' worth. He's worth more than anything we can possibly possess. And Jesus' response to Judas, he says, when he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Understand, he's not downplaying service to the poor by any means. There's plenty in the gospel. There's plenty in the rest of the Bible to that teaches us the importance of service to the poor. But his response explains more explicitly that not only is he worth anything that we can possess, he's worth more than anything we can do. He's worth more than any service or any gift that we can provide to anyone. Worship to him is that important. Mary's act is not just a comment on possessions. It's a comment on ourselves. Her act is deliberate and elaborate. And she takes the posture of a servant handling Jesus' feet. It was sometimes the case that excess oil when someone was anointed was wiped on a servant's hair. Mary does it herself. And considering the cultural boundaries of the time, it it's likely that her act is also a little undignified. She's probably raising an eyebrow or two. But Mary gives of her treasured possession and of herself to Jesus because she knows that nothing given to Jesus is ever wasted. In contrast, Judas hides behind a false expression of generosity to allow himself to embezzle more. And the religious leaders plotting to take Jesus and Lazarus' life are also withholding something from Jesus. 
Both of them ask us the question, what are we withholding something? What are we withholding from Jesus? Judas withholding his ability for, to have material gain. This big concern comes out of him being a thief. And we see that sentiment even grow to the point where he betrays Jesus for money later in the gospel. That being the case, it's no wonder he spurns Mary's worship. They're not in the immediate scene, but the author is sure to mention the religious leaders, the chief priests who desire to keep their position, withholding their influence. For them, their desire for power and influence is in direct conflict with Jesus' mission. It's in direct conflict with his being worshipped. Whereas Mary gives a treasured possession to be used to worship Jesus, Jesus, or Judas, sorry, Judas protests withholding his own material and illegitimate gain. And whereas Mary takes the posture of a humble servant, perhaps an even undignified one, the chief priests will literally kill to keep their positions. And while I want, want to try to avoid extremes, it's worth asking the question, what are we withholding from Jesus? I don't want us to necessarily equate one sin to another. But at the same time, it's worth recognizing that if we are withholding something from God, it's likely in similar areas to either Judas or the chief priest. It's likely either going to be something material or something personal. Are we withholding something material? Is our desire to have more money and more stuff or more security or comfort? Or maybe even just to maintain the level that we have. Is that desire getting in between us and Jesus? Is he asking for something we don't want to give? Are we withholding something personal? Maybe it is a position of power and influence. Maybe we might be willing to compromise our character to either keep it or to advance it. Maybe we're using it for our own gain when Jesus wants us to use it for someone else's gain, to serve. Might even be a relationship that's not good for us, that perhaps Jesus wants us to walk away from. Maybe it's something as simple as our dignity. Maybe we're not as open about our faith or faith practice as Jesus would like us to be because we're too mindful of what others think. Because following Jesus is not always popular. Often it is not. There are plenty of contexts around the world where it is outright dangerous. It often looks foolish to follow Jesus. Many of you know I came out of a church called Vineyard, and the first leader over Vineyard when it became a movement was a man named John Wimber, and I read a story about him shortly after he found the Lord. And before he was in ministry, he was a successful musician, played with a successful band in the 60s, and when he came to faith, he realized that it might mean giving up a career in music, even though he didn't want to. 
Of course, that's what the Lord asked him to do. And so he took a job in a factory, and one day a friend from the industry comes to him with a lucrative contract, and he, he finds Wimber dirty from cleaning out an oil drum. And he says, what are you doing here? And Wimber simply answered, God did this to me. And his friend said, well, he's not going to do it to me. And he walked away. Giving Jesus what he asked for might seem foolish to people. But recognizing his worth means knowing he's worth more than anything we can give him in the first place. This season of Lent, it's a great time to reflect and consider what we might be withholding from God. What things might have an unhealthy pull on our being. What things might threaten to get between us and Jesus or put distance between us. And there are a lot of spiritual practices that can directly confront these things when we do them with the right heart. When people fast, they testify that God is more important than food. When people give, they testify that God is more important than money and possessions. When people serve, they testify that God is more important than status or our time. These things don't earn us God's love, but they demonstrate to ourselves and to others the worth of Jesus. When we offer Jesus all that we are and all that we have, when we let him do whatever he wants with it, we'll find that he's worth more than all of it anyway. And so we don't lose anything if we give it to him. And so when we withhold from him, we actually miss out on something far more valuable. Jesus told Mary's sister, Martha, right before raising their brother, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Do we know what that's worth? Do we know what he's worth? And do we give him the place that he deserves because of it? Because the truth is, nothing is worth more than life with Jesus and eternal life with him after we die. Nothing is worth more than Jesus. That's what we prepare to celebrate on Easter Sunday. And when we recognize this, we recognize that we only have to gain when we give our earthly treasures to him. Whether it's material or personal, because when we do that, we only gain the ultimate treasure of himself. Let's continue worshiping our Lord as we celebrate the Lord's Supper.